recorded live from Hong Kong and Toronto. Toronto. This is the PR and Law Podcast. The PR and Law Podcast. Turn it up, turn it up. With your hosts, Cam McMurchie and you and Christy. We have made it to episode 50 of the PR and Law Podcast. I'm your host, Cam McMurchie, along with you and Christy. Hello, Cameron. Ewan's an employment lawyer and partner at Duntroon LLP in Toronto, Canada, online at duntroon.law. I'm a PR guy based in Hong Kong and publisher of the Digital Bits PR and Communications newsletter at digitalbitspr.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, even subscribe to us on YouTube and SoundCloud. And our newsletter, of course, at prlawpodcast.club, C-L-U-B. Ewan, what's happening? Happy Easter. I know it's Easter Sunday there where, where you're recording in, uh, in that hemisphere. <laughs> it is indeed. Happy Easter to you too, Cam. What's, Thank you. Uh, what's going on? In- well, you know, one of the holdovers from British colonial days in this territory is uh, the Easter holiday. It's uh, it has uh, it has survived the handover back to China and uh, this and Christmas and a few others are still celebrated here. So we do get the Friday and Monday off off work, but we also get the Chinese holidays. So Tomb Sweeping Festival is a, is a very traditional Chinese holiday where you go to the graves of your ancestors and you clean them off and make sure they look good and you, you remember them. And that also falls on Easter Sunday this year. So we get a day off in lieu for that on Tuesday. So it's a five-day weekend. So I, I cannot complain. You know, I don't need to end this early to get on a meeting or get on a call. It's nice. Wow. Well, that's nice. That's yeah. great. I, I do not have tomorrow off. It is a... Uh, it is a a working day here, although the schools are closed. So that means it will only be a sort of working day because I'll have, I'll have my, my daughter to hang out and and play with. I don't want to bore people here, but like Friday is a statutory holiday in Canada, correct? But Monday is a holiday, but not a statutory holiday. Is that how it works? And what's the difference? Yeah. I I mean, yes, that's correct. There may be, you know, some, some individuals working for the federal government, perhaps that get it off. I'm not entirely sure. Actually, I probably should know that. um, You're the employment lawyer. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Continue the debate with us on social media. Join us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PR Law Podcast. All one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Send us your questions now by email to askusatprlawpodcast.com. That's all one word, askusatprlawpodcast.com. Or on social media with the hashtag PRLawPod. That's hashtag P-R-L-A-W-P-O-D. Ewan, I understand that you want to talk about the company that everybody loves to buy from, but also everybody loves to hate. What is it? Yeah, Amazon. Have you heard of them? Are you familiar with the company? <laughs> I have a few boxes yeah. laying around, yes. You, you do, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suspect, <laughs> actually, most people I'd do. Be more, I'd be more surprised if there was anybody listening to this who didn't know who Amazon yeah. was. That that would almost be like a, you know, a podcast episode unto itself. Let's let's interview the individual who doesn't know who Amazon is. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about Amazon Cam because as I'm sure you've seen, it's been a big big story in the news. There are nearly 6,000 Amazon workers in Alabama who are mm-hmm. voting on whether or not to unionize and form a bargaining unit represented by the Retail Wholesale 
and department store union, Cameron. Okay. Um, yeah. So they've, they've literally, I mean, they've been casting ballots for more than a month in this thing. The votes are in, they're being tallied. Um, you know, if successful, they would be the first group of Amazon workers in the U.S. to be unionized. So suffice it to say, Cam, the outcome of the vote is being closely watched, not only by Amazon, but obviously by other industry leaders. Um, and there is always, always that threat when you have large companies that have a face off with a union that there could be sort of that snowball effect if you know one one group of employees is able to collectively bargain what does that mean for other amazon warehouses or other companies yeah that was um, going to be my so, next question if they do certify this union what does that mean for people working for amazon elsewhere in the us and maybe elsewhere in the world well well that's just it i mean technically it doesn't mean anything for them right they're not the ones that are being that that would be certified but um they may look to to their you know their colleagues or i guess their their brothers and sisters in in union parlance and think huh well um things seem to be going pretty well for them perhaps they they look at some of the perks that they're getting under unionization and you know i mean we're always talking about sort of those those same typical things like what what do you get out of this right well you know principally you get the right to strike um, you also get the right to conduct workplace stoppages. Um, and given that Amazon's entire business model is based on getting orders to your doorstep as fast as possible, that could certainly impact the bottom line. Um, you know, and union advocates, they're arguing the same stuff that that union advocates typically are, are, are supporting of or supportive of, which would be, you know, better job security, safer working conditions, higher wages, better, better benefits, these sorts of things. Cam. Yeah. And um, so this warehouse in, in Bessemer, Alabama, by the way, Alabama is beautiful. I've been there nice state although i was in mobile which is much further south um but but it's a it's a big warehouse i mean there's almost six thousand workers there which is you know it's quite a lot i mean i'm used to sort of chinese standards of warehouses or factories which number in the hundreds of thousands of people but this is big for sort of a smaller uh, urban area uh in the state and so it impacts a lot of people and you know you and we talked a little bit off the air about sort of what amazon would do if this came to pass and potentially you know, closing this down is is one option. Um, you know, you may recall that Amazon pulled out of Brooklyn after they faced some some regulatory or tax issues there, um, but that was something that had not been opened yet. This is already open. This 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 warehouse is um, is functional, and the employees are there, which is going to make it a little bit more difficult. Um, but considering the implications that you just explained. Um, in terms of what Amazon may face and how this may spread and how it really could you know, significantly impact its business. Do you see closing down as, as, as a viable option for them? Or do you think they're, they would more likely to accept this and continue? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, do I think that they're, they would strongly consider doing it? Of course. I mean, obviously, right. Um, you're, they're going to want to quash this any way they can. Um, my understanding from from some of the articles I've read is that they've made a, a fairly aggressive push 
um, at the factory itself in terms of posting pamphlets in, in washrooms, um, having individuals come in and speak to employees about, you know, the perils of unionization and the, the, the pros of, of remaining independent and having that direct line of communication um, to the employer without having a third party involved. So, I mean, you know, Amazon has been on it. Um, and look, I mean, and again, Cam, to talk about just how significant this is, this is literally the first time um, that Amazon has faced a union vote in seven years. And, you know, I mean, let's and let's sort of break this down a little bit. That doesn't mean that Amazon has faced threats from or has not faced threats from unions at other locations um, in the United States, because, of course, they have. It just means that they've been extraordinarily successful at ensuring that those those drives don't get to the point where there's an actual vote. So this is the first time there's been a vote in seven years. So could they shut down? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, one of the articles that I've read will we'll post in the show notes. Um, you know, they they interviewed a labor lawyer who who serves as the lead counsel for the RWDSU union. And, you know, he is of the mind that they will not shut down. And of course, you know, of course, he's going to say that he represents the union. But part of the argument in, in support of that is that Amazon is slated to build another facility um, at a at a mall that had been closed elsewhere in, in Birmingham. So, look, I mean, I, I don't think that that's conclusive of anything. I mean, I think we're talking about a company that is so big and so wealthy that to walk away from two factories is just a drop in the bucket. Um, my, I think the bigger issue, Cam, is what sort of message would it send to employees elsewhere? And as you sort of mentioned right off the top, it's not like Amazon is getting a lot of cheery, sunny press these days in terms of its treatment of workers. So, you know, that could just be a further sort of nail in the coffin of, of how they perceive the value of their labor, of their workers, of their employees. So I, I think they're going to have to tread carefully on this. That's for sure. You know, this is um, an interesting trend um, because you, you make a good point about how there's been some negative press around Amazon. And there has been for for years in terms of how they treat their their workers. I think the first one came out maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago uh, about, you know, defecating into 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 cups or, or, or peeing into bottles because they're in, in warehouses and, and can't take bathroom breaks, things like that. Um, if I recall, the New York Times actually did the first big expose into this uh, several years ago. But you know what? In, in the intervening years, I mean, Amazon has just grown exponentially. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's profits in 2020. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's net sales were up 44% uh, over 2019. That's during a pandemic. And it brought fourth quarter profits to 125 billion dollars us and so i mean some of that is people are ordering from amazon because there's not other stores open but i think it would be a mistake to think that this just it's something that we can assume goes back to normal i don't think so and so i've wondered this for a while how much do people really care because you're right these workers have been treated poorly there have been reports there have been many reports over many years but yet more and more people keep ordering from Amazon. So I, I don't see any link there, at least this far. And the new reports that are coming out 
now of some of the, the worker treatment have been around for a while. So it's it's not new. And so I'm wondering if there is going to be a link here uh, or if maybe the workers are kind of overplaying it by thinking that the, the, the people would support them. Yeah, I mean, a great point. We'll we'll link to um, a great story that I read um, in The Intercept that was just published last week, actually. And it, it contains a bunch of leaked documents, internal documents from Amazon. And it relates to just what you're talking about, Cam. Um, specifically, delivery drivers peeing and defecating in bottles because they don't have time to, to get to a washroom because they have to keep up with their delivery schedules. And what's sort of interesting about this, this subject is that, yes, to your point, this isn't anything new. Um, this has been a problem in for delivery drivers and in warehouses at Amazon for, for a number of years. But what's interesting is the pandemic context and that the, the number of people that have been ordering from Amazon has obviously exploded. You sort of talked about some of their financial numbers uh, over the over the last year, um, and that has just applied more pressure, more stress, greater demands on the workers who are there, um, more stringent deadlines. So this is a problem that's actually getting worse, and I think that it is sort of an interesting coincidence that this is now sort of coming to a head in terms of this this union vote in the context of the pandemic. And, you know, you might recall, Cam, going, if we go all the way back to, to episode 38, we talked about a group of um, 200 engineers, I think it was, uh, across a, a number of, of Google locations in the U.S. and Canada that signed cards to form the Alphabet Workers Union, right? And then on mm-hmm. top of that, we've also talked on the show a number of times about um, Uber drivers, notably in California, who have pushed for for greater rights and recognition under the law. So it's sort of an interesting trend that's developing in these large, large companies in a way that I can't really recall um, seeing going back even 10, 15, 20 years. So it, it's interesting when you sort of throw all of these massive, massive companies um, into a bucket, you mix it up in a pandemic context, and all of a sudden, these issues seem to be coming to the forefront in a way they haven't in a very, very long time. Yeah, and I wonder if part of that is just the sheer number of people that are working for these companies, too. I mean, when you look back to, in the uh, the labor union's sort of strong years in the 50s and 60s, you know, a lot of people working for for, for automakers and, and, and um, companies like that or in those sectors. Um, tech has always been more service right rather than or rather than manufacturing and there's been fewer fewer jobs at these big companies than there were at the previous generation of large u.s companies but it's kind of changing at least at amazon because you do need people to fill these warehouse jobs at least now i mean some of that has been automated away and i think more of it will be automated away but but they're also hiring more and more people too um you know to deal with this and and maybe that has 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 an effect because you've got more and more people working for this one company feeling mistreated and able to kind of work together to try and bring this union vote in well yeah and high turnover right you you make a you make a great point about constantly having to hire new employees to keep these massive warehouses staffed um there was a report in the seattle times that that talked about Amazon and how they had to refill positions at a rate of 96% between March and September of wow, 2020. Wow, that's a disaster, yeah. I, I mean, that that's that's insane. So, you know, when, whenever you're, you have that sort of 
employee dissatisfaction. <laughs> I mean, you're going to run into these kinds of issues. So, I mean, that that tells me that the company needs to do something to address this issue. Um, and perhaps there are other other tech companies that need to do the same. I, I don't know. I mean, certainly don't have any of that sort of specific data at my fingertips to sort of tap into right now. But I'm, I'm sure Amazon's not alone in this, Cam. And again, I, I think it, it's, it strikes me as a, a rather odd coincidence that we have a number of these tech startups that are facing pushback um, from workers in a way that we haven't seen in quite some time. And I'm very, very curious to see how this plays out over the, over the coming year and coming years. Show your support to the PR and Law Podcast by making a one-time donation or setting up a subscription with us on Patreon. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and bring the show to you each week. If you'd like to chip in, please visit PRNLawPodcast.com. That's PRNLawPodcast.com. Click support the show. Thanks for helping us out. All right, Ewan, just a few days ago was April Fool's Day and... Um, any, did you fall for any jokes? Was any joke played on you, uh, you know, by your wife, your daughter, somebody? No, you know what, Cam? And, and at this point, it's be, it's become such a thing, right? Um, online yeah. for companies to sort of push these gags that um, it, it's lost a little bit of its luster for me. I don't know about you. I mean, I remember the first few years where I definitely, I, I was had a number of times. And, and now I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, well. Yeah, I don't like using the phrase jump the shark because I think it's jump the shark, but this is jump the shark. No question about it. The April Fool's Day jokes, because like I remember even when I was younger, like I had my first radio job in Victoria, Canada, Victoria, BC, and I remember going into the newsroom there. And, um, you know, they were doing uh, uh, an April Fool's Day joke about the Indy Vancouver. Um, you don't remember the Indy circuit, Ewan, and how it was yeah. going to come to Victoria. And they had selected, you know, a street course for the Indy and it was going to go over the, you know, the bridge, the Johnson Street Bridge, you know, all of these places. And um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a big hit. It was a bit of a story and it was interesting, but it was all a joke and um, no harm was done. Got a lot of attention. I guess that's kind of what you're looking for. But now I feel like brands are just trying too hard with it. And the novelty is absolutely gone. Um and I think if you have kind of a, a failed April Fool's Day joke for your brand, actually, that that's that's almost OK, because it can also do a lot of real damage to your brand, believe it or not. And, you know, we looked at this um, just over the past few days about like, you know, what did brands do this year? And then I came across a, a really interesting article um, online, which I will link to in the show notes from the Content Marketing, Marketing Institute about how brands should approach April Fool's Day, not to fall into these traps and whether brands should even get involved at all. And you and I'm I'm glad that 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 you mentioned to me off the air about Volkswagen. And you know, when I when I took a look at this, and maybe our listeners uh heard or saw this as well, but on April 1st, um they issued a, a press release saying the company was going to focus on electric vehicles and change its name to Volkswagen, V-O-L-T s wagon and um it went out at first it had an error date on the press release of april 29th and that confused people because there were some 
reporters who got the release and went, oh, you know, this is this is might be an April Fool's Day joke, but then looked at the date and it was it was the wrong date. And so that led them to take it a bit more seriously. This caused some confusion, though. And um, it was interesting because Ad Age, which is one of the the, the big sort of marketing uh, industry publications, was interviewing VW's American VP of marketing, Kimberly Gardner. And, you know, it's a startling interview. Ewan, because you would think that she would be briefed on something like a name change of the brand that she's responsible for promoting in her country. <laughs> and this is what I would hope so. Yeah. This is how that interview went. Press yeah. release that went out that says that you are changing your name to Volkswagen, V O L T S W A G N. Is this real? Is this happening? Uh, you know, I was just texting with my PR team and I've asked them to handle it. It sounded like that release has come down since, uh, since you mentioned that EJ. So, uh, it's a surprise to me. And, uh, all I can say is I'm asking my PR people to, to get on it right now. <laughs> so is this, I know April Fool's Day is around the corner and my, and what I've been It is coming around the corner. I can't even believe it's March. Yeah, not that I'm aware of right now. Like I said, PR is taking the release down. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, we'll, no other comment right now. All right. We'll update our readers on what we find out about. Yeah. That. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but but moving on. Um, awkward. Very wow. awkward. You could you could just tell by the way she's. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. What she's really saying is someone is going. I'm to going die. to kill somebody. Someone <laughs> is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, it's. I, I mean, that's the audio. I I will put a link to this to this article and that interview in the show notes as well because it's even more awkward to watch. I mean, she's clearly confused. And I mean, that's the worst, especially for a PR person. I mean, she she's the VP of marketing, right? So she should. She should know this sort of thing. And to be caught off guard like that is just awful. Like it's, it's, it's unforgivable, really. Like you, you never want to put your executives in that kind of position. It's the worst. So, I mean, this kind of fired, backfired rather for, for, for Volkswagen. But it does beg the question, if you're going to do this, how should you do this? You know, what should you look out for? And actually, like my advice would be don't do it, like quite, quite frankly, I just don't know if it's worth it. I think that there may be gains if you can pull off something that's absolutely perfect and somehow, you know, generates new conversions or sales for your brand or whatever it might be. But I mean, why not just put that energy into an actual real campaign than around than around April 1st? Because there are some some downsides to it. So if you are going to go about it, Ewan, the first first lesson, integrate it into your brand so, you know, one one company that has actually done this well, Ewan, is a, one that we've talked about in the past, which is Burger King. And, you know, they play around with, with April Fool's every year, basically. Um, but but their, their focus really is to be playful and never be mean-spirited, is what they say. Um, and so their global chief marketing officer, his name is Fernando Machado, said April Fool's has become a major date for Burger King and our campaigns have generated massive engagement with a younger and often harder to reach audience. And um, I'm going to play one example of a Burger King ad. I mean, I don't know. It's not really my thing, but I, I mean, it, I guess it did well for them and they were happy with it. Let's see what you think, Ewan. Hang on. Our flamed grilled Whopper is so good that some people will do anything to keep the taste in their mouth. To keep the Whopper's taste in my mouth? I haven't brushed my teeth for two weeks. It really works. But my wife dumped me. We're done. 
Don't worry, Burger King has the answer. To keep your mouth Whopper fresh, use Whopper toothpaste. For real? Yes. Its flame-grilled microgranules enriched with sesamium seeds contribute to your oral health. From day one, the ultra-fresh advanced Whopper technology will help keep your breath Whopper fresh longer than ever. And you'll notice the results immediately. But but we've we we did a long look at at Burger King uh, just a couple of episodes ago. We'll, we will put that in the show notes as well around the International Women's Day um, because they put out a tweet that said women belong in the kitchen, followed up by a tweet explaining what that meant. But the damage kind of had already been done, um, and I think that's a that's a good juxtaposition from this Ewan because they are trying to be playful, but in trying to be playful and get attention, you can inadvertently cross that line which is something that I think they did because they have a long history of doing this kind of thing. So I think that was very inadvertent. And I think that's what makes this so dangerous to get involved with because you can think that it's funny. You can think that maybe the, 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 the consumers will get the joke or they're in on the joke and maybe some are, but maybe some aren't. And it's hard. Humor also is very, very specific, right? I mean, some things that are funny to some people are not funny to others. So it, it, it's it's hard. I'm not saying don't do this. I mean, in a way, I'm saying don't do this. But if you're going to do it, just be <laughs> just be really careful about it. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense, right? Don't send your um, your marketing executive to an interview about how your company has changed its name when they uh, they're they're unaware of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, these seems it seems to be sort of like. PR 101 can. Yep. So point number two. So number one was integrate uh, it into your brand. So Burger King did a good job there. Uh, point number two is create, a, create distinct but related content. And I think this is good too. If you're going to do something like this, have it closely related to your brand. Again, I think the Burger King example is pretty good. I mean, it's toothpaste, but it's Whopper toothpaste. And yeah, like there is kind of a tie there. And, you know, one example here is the uh, website Rent the Runway, which allows you to sort of rent really expensive clothes. And a couple of years ago, they did uh, an April Fool's Day uh, gag called Rent the Runway for dogs with sort of dog clothes and stuff on there. Um, but, but in doing so, they created a new landing page with this campaign on it, right? Like rent the one runway is, you know, launching rent the runway for dogs and here's how it works. And look, here's all the funny, good pictures of dogs, blah, 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 blah. But the benefit of doing that is, is you can direct media or consumers to that page and that can generate some, some publicity, uh, or, you know, media articles or stories about your brand because you can send them somewhere. And I think that that's a, that's actually kind of a key point. You want to send them a link to say, oh, you know, what, what, what April Fool's Day gag did you do? Oh, here it is. So if you are going to do it, I think this is another, another benefit is you want to send them somewhere where it's clear and, uh, and you can get some attention. I like that idea. It actually kind of reminds me of a good campaign that 
CBC, which is, you know, the Canadian mm-hmm. public broadcaster did last year. Anybody who's been to Toronto knows that we have something of a raccoon issue. Ugh. And while they may look cute and cuddly, they to, are not, uh, they are not cute. They are not cute. They are not cuddly. Uh, most Torontonians at some point um, in their lives will have a nasty run in with a raccoon um, often, you know, sort of jumping out at you in, in, in the dark. Yeah, they're, they're big oh. as you're walking, you know, walking out of your out of your house or your apartment, what have you. Um, they're big. They can be vicious. And they had this great bit on on radio where they interviewed a woman who was talking about different recipes to cook raccoon (laughs) and how barbecued raccoon is actually wonderful and of course it just the whole city was in a big uproar about this and thought that it was real and was going to like how how could you cook raccoons but it was brilliant and to your point cam it had everybody logging on to the CBC website, sharing the story through the socials. Mm -hmm. um, And it proved to be a really, really successful campaign for a public broadcaster that isn't typically sort of, you know, wrapped up in these kind of cool stories. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I get it. Where do raccoons go during the day? (laughs) Great, great question. Like they're big. I mean, I I know like cockroaches come out at night, right? But they're tiny and hide places. Where where do raccoons go? Like there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in other parts of Canada too. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) they spend a lot of time in trees on on rooftops. Imagine them falling Um, out of a tree. Ugh. Yeah, but they're they are they are everywhere. They are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's another discussion. That's for our raccoon podcast. Um, Point number three is don't disrupt function, and I think this is really important too. Don't don't like it's meant to be a joke, and don't disrupt people. Like if people are trying to use your product to get work done or because they're busy, like don't don't interrupt them. And uh, we're going to pick on Google here uh, for a second because there was a Google uh, fail from a few years ago uh, where Google added a new feature to Gmail and it was an orange button next to the standard send button. Um, But if you clicked on the orange button, it delivered email with a GIF or GIF of a yellow minion character dropping a microphone. And the mic drop ended the conversation, preventing the sender from seeing subsequent replies. So it was actually harmful. And Google eventually had to write that it looks like we pranked ourselves this year due to a bug. The mic drop feature inadvertently caused more headaches than laughs. We're truly sorry. End quote. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I hadn't heard that. And um, this was April 1st, 2016, um, that this happened. And I think that's just a good example of understand why you want to do this, right? And you should walk through these impacts as, as you consider different ideas. You know, is it light? Is it going to offend somebody? Is it offensive? You know, on any level, is this going to disrupt the user experience? Is this going to confuse people? Is it going to have them very concerned about the future of the company or certain products? Like, you you, you don't want to trigger any of these things because then, yeah, like like you know, Google had said it would cause a lot more headaches uh, than laughs. And I think these are some 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 good things to keep in mind when April Fool's Day rolls around in twenty twenty two. Yeah, this sounds way too perilous to try and navigate, Cam. It kind of sends me back to your initial comment of, you know, I would recommend that you just don't 
bother doing this. It seems like the cons far outweigh the the, the potential pros. Yeah, and you know, I I, f- I do feel that way, but I also feel bad that I feel that way because I I, I don't want to sound like I'm discouraging fun or humor, you know, or lightness because I think the whole world needs more of that really in my opinion it's just it's this is just the world that we're in though and um if you can't guarantee that that's what you're delivering i don't think the risks are worth it and and maybe that's unfortunate but at the end of the day you are trying to protect your brand that's the number one function uh you know of a, of a communications person or a marketing person in in these in these companies and and you have to take that responsibility seriously i think a lot of times that will mean Avoid April Fool's Day jokes. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Check this out. Whoa, hey, check this out. No, no, wait, wait. Check it out, check it out. I want you to check this out. On the PR and Law Podcast. What do you got, Ewan? Great story I read, Cam, earlier this week. Uh, There's an, an audio clip to go with it for people to listen to, but this was an NPR story on the ruthless ranking of the 25 best Muppets. Cam. Really? Muppets. The Muppets. Everybody loves the Muppets. <laughs> Who right? finished first? Well, Hermit. I don't know. I mean, should I say it? You're not going to spoil it for us? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should spoil it. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, That's it, fine. It's, a, it's a really, yep. it's a very, very thorough, detailed. I mean, I mean, this credit, I tip my hat to NPR. They took this very very seriously cam there was over 1800 votes really that were cast 150 different muppets received votes so any muppet from any property or era was eligible i didn't so that, know, you know there were that many 150 well yeah i mean you've got the muppet show you've got muppet babies fraggle rock you've got sesame street labyrinth oh, yeah, cam yeah. do you remember labyrinth labyrinth no but i love fraggle rock as a kid that was one of my favorite shows okay well you know labyrinth is worth uh it's worth revisiting my 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 daughter's a huge (laughs) huge huge fan david bowie cam jim henson david bowie oh wow it's the early 80s Um, (laughs) okay i have an idea nothing makes any sense uh but yeah david bowie muppets big hair Mm -hmm. and uh and and cheesy music Mm -hmm. anyway um check it out it's great um i i was happy to see that that beaker made the list and uh and the swedish chef um definitely favorites of mine so um <laughs> check it out Cam. Check it i out. will this sounds this sounds this sounds good ewan um i i'm going to name three things today i uh, want to apologize in advance for for doing that but um you know because we've had a couple of days off we, we finally got to see a couple of movies and so we we picked a couple of films up for best picture uh oscars this year uh the first being the father uh, which stars Anthony Hopkins, and it is probably one of the most emotionally impactful films I've maybe ever seen. Um, wow! It's a remarkable film. It's um, it was shot in Britain. It's it's actually a British film, but it deals with the issue of Alzheimer's and dementia. And um, the the movie is a bit confusing because of that, because it's kind of seen through the eyes of somebody who has that illness and um it's it's one of the first movies i can think of actually that has dealt with that issue 
um, in this way, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's remarkable, absolutely worthy of, of best picture nomination in my view. And then the other one is, uh, Minari, which is the Korean film. And this is, uh, it's in Korean mostly there's bits of English. So it's a subtitled movie. Um, it's the second Korean film in as many years to be nominated for best picture. Um, but this one is in the United States and it's uh, a young family that, that left Korea to settle in California for a few years. And then after saving enough money, the father took them out to Arkansas, very rural Arkansas, where he wanted to grow Korean vegetables. This is based on a true story. It's the little boy in the film who, who the little boy character uh, is the one who grew up to make this, this film. And he was nervous about showing his family when it was done because it's, it's really, it's also a heart wrenching film. And it talks about the struggles that immigrant families have when they come to a new country and try and fit in and have some financial troubles and, very unpredictable, but just remarkable. Yeah, I, I, this is these are two of the best films that I can remember, and I'm quite critical of films, Ewan. Um, I, like, I don't watch a lot of movies just because I find a lot of them either too predictable or just too, I don't know, I'd rather read something or do something else. But but these were both absolutely excellent. I can't recommend them highly enough. Wow, okay, cool. Well, yeah, and I know The Father also stars Olivia Coleman, which It for- does, yes any of the fans of the crown out there she she's the actress who plays um queen elizabeth in the in the latter seasons i don't know if if you're a crown fan cam i have watched Um, i have watched the crown and i quite like it actually um but i'm the only one around here who likes it so oh really yeah i i I got really kind of hooked on it actually i really i actually quite enjoyed it yeah i think it's good um and then the third one you and i just want to give a shout out to the athletic I've been a subscriber from pretty early days. It's the sports publication that's been around now for several years. They basically went out and hired all of the top sports journalists at newspapers in Canada and the U.S. And they really have remarkable sports coverage now. And um, it's a daily read uh, read for me. I think they're great. And one of the reasons is, is I often find things in there that just the regular media would just never cover. And, um, I didn't know this, but as I was reading The Athletic last night, I came across a guy named Pete Weber. Pete Weber is a bowler. He's one of the the best bowlers to ever play in the professional bowling league. Maybe it's the association. I think it's the PBA. Uh, but anyway, he's famous for kind of a WWE-style victory celebration. And this is from 2012. You can kind of hear what he's saying here, but this is, it's, it's almost the, it's bowling's equivalent of like bottom of the ninth bases loaded two outs, full count kind of thing. He needs to get a strike to win the championship. And here's, here's the audio of Pete Weber. Strike to claim it, a strike to claim it. That was a lot of third person <laughs> references there, Cam. Wow. He, uh, the video is hilarious. Um, but his line there, he said, who do you think you are? And then he pointed himself and said, I am. And he explained later, <laughs> he was trying to say like, who do you think is the best? I am. But he was so overcome with emotion. He said, who do you think you are? I am. And this has become a meme on the bowling tour. <laughs> and so he has, <laughs> he has just retired. 
And that's why this story was written and why the clip was shared. And I just thought, this is why I like rooting the athletic. This would never have come up. I didn't know. I never heard the name Pete Weber. I know nothing about bowling. And then when you come across somebody who's had such an impact in a certain area, be it a sport or a profession, I find that interesting. Like I, this person has dedicated his life to bowling and I'd never heard of him. And I like coming across stuff like that, that I have just no idea about and learn something. So it was, it was great. I'll link to that article in the show notes as well. I don't know. He sounds like he should be getting his own biopic. Cam. We should be talking about his Oscar <laughs> well, nominated film. You know what? That may happen at some point because he, in, in the eighties, he was, uh, you know, he was doing the drugs and the gambling and, uh, and the partying as a younger man on the bowling tour. Uh, and then he, <laughs> as, became, you do. <laughs> as you do. So yeah, he, uh, he brought a, a lot of, uh, a lot of attention to bowling anyway. Wow. Yeah. Lots of stuff to check out. Uh, anything you want to, Anything you want to add, Ewan, as we sign off Easter Sunday? Uh, that's it, my friend. That's it. Enjoy um, enjoy your days off. Yeah, thanks. Monday, Tuesday, tomb sweeping day, Cam. Yep. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us again uh, this week. Don't miss a show. You can subscribe to us in your podcast app of choice. For me, that's Overcast, uh, but you can use whatever one you like. Uh, or you can subscribe to our YouTube or SoundCloud channels. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can get our newsletter at prlawpodcast.club. So for you and Christy, this is Cam McMurchie. Light it up. This has been the PR and Law Podcast with Cam McMurchie and you and Christy. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend or leave a review. You can also join us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by following our account at PR Law Podcast. That's all one word, P-R-L-A-W Podcast. Thanks for your support.